0: in worship, I, uh, you know, you, you just have to make a decision. Um, okay, I, I'm just going to make a decision here that I don't feel like it. I'm scattered, blah, 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 but I'm going to worship the Lord and kind of pull it together. And um, that's what happens when you just make a decision. I don't know about you, but more mornings than not, I don't, wait, I, I don't have this kind of like fire to worship the Lord. Uh, it's like, it's not what comes natural first thing in the morning. Um, but if you make the decision to do it, and you press on through, you really get your socks blessed off. I find I get blessed more when I didn't feel like worshiping God but did it anyways than when I just feel like worshiping God. It's like, the, it's, it's uh, I don't know. But uh, I really got blessed this morning in spite, of, in spite of the kind of morning that I was having. I also want to say this. We're, we're talking about the body of Christ here. Ephesians 4 is all about the body of Christ. Well, walking the worthy walk, living on the outside, what's true of us on the inside, and what we've learned is we've got to do it together. And that uh, it's as we find out how to relate together, how to be together, how to be be the gift that we are to one another, that the body of Christ gets built up. And I just really appreciate this body. I appreciate what God's doing here. I appreciate worshiping with everybody. I love preaching here. And I love the kind of small group that, that I'm a part of. A couple weeks ago, I shared with you that we were really going through a struggle, just a real spiritual warfare. That's the only tag I have for it, a real spiritual warfare. And that's not an unusual thing. It shouldn't be an unusual thing. When you're in the trenches, you get shot at, and and so we're just getting shot at. But it was so good to be able to have some people. I just called up some people, some friends, and said, Will you come over to my house and spend a night praying for me and my family, for my house? And uh, it was so good to have that. We were, doing, we were doing the body of Christ thing. Not lone rangers, but when we get together and pray together and share together and open up with one another's struggles. I need help, will you help me? You need help, I'll help you. And it's when we get together in, in, in groups like that and help one another that the body of Christ really gets to be formed. Had some people come over to our house, uh, surprise us, a couple, I guess last Wednesday, it was my wife's birthday. And just some of the women in the church showed up and they put some handcuffs on her. They said, come on, you're going with us. And, and I go, when will she be home? And, <laughs> <clears throat> Don't you worry about it. This is her free night. You got the kids for the night. And so they took her out, and they just had fun. And, and that's also doing, doing the body of Christ thing. And I think every, every believer needs to have some people who know when it's their birthday, you know? And some people that they can just reach out to when they need help. That's why God gave us each other. And my prayer is that, as, as, as God's working in Woodland Hills, uh, that, that growth won't just be this way, but it will be this way. That, that we'll get connected. That, that we'll, we'll find one another. Not everyone can be connected with everyone. No one can be connected with everyone. But if you're connected with five, that's good. Or six, and some people like that. And I just appreciate the kind of people that God's raised up. And the kind of thing that God's doing here. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with Verse 11. The Lord says this through Paul. It was Christ who gave some to be apostles. Some to be gifts as apostles. Some to be prophets. Some to be pastors and teachers. Some to be evangelists. To prepare God's people for works of service. That's why God gave them as gifts in order to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. When that happens, we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. We will grow up. Note that word there. We will grow up into him who is the head, namely Jesus Christ. For from him, from the head, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part, as each part, each ligament does its work. Let's pray. Father, God, I I pray that your spirit would be present here as you were in the worship service, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you'd be taking the words and making them life-giving, there's so much richness, richness here, Lord. Your word is, is, is so profound and yet so simple. I pray, God, that, that you would give me the words to communicate that, Lord. And not just in a way, Lord, that would satisfy our intellectual curiosity, but in a way that would move us to be different people, different than we were, Lord. Change us, transform us, move us. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. There's a lot of uh, ideas around about what the church is supposed to be. There's been a wealth of literature published in the last 15 years or so about church growth and, and, and the objectives of the church, the agenda of the church. and A lot of people have different ideas of what the church is supposed to be. A lot of churches don't know what they're supposed to be. They just sort of get together because that's what they've always done. But others have certain criteria for success. What counts as being a successful church? What does it mean to... Be hitting the mark, to be hitting the target. One very popular way of defining success in the church is numbers. If you've got a church that is growing, if you've got a lot of numbers, if you've got a lot of warm bodies in a place, and you're getting more and more warm bodies in a place, then you've got a successful church. That, that's what accounts as being successful. And so you strategize on how to be successful. You strategize on how to get large numbers of people. For other people, it's, it's uh, the efficiency of the operation of the church. A successful church is one that has slick programs. Things are running smoothly. Everyone knows what they're supposed to do, and, and you've got it all charted out. For still others, it might be financial stability. A church is successful when it's got some money socked away, and it's, it's secure financially. For other people, it's getting a building. It's getting a building. You, that You really arrived when you have a building, and, and if you've got a big building and a nice building, an impressive building, then you're a successful church. For still others, it's, it's having a lot of programs, a lot of keeping people busy. I got a, I got a, a, a brochure one time uh, from a church, and the, 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 the new pastor in this place was saying he was giving 10 marks of a healthy church. And the first one was that people are busy. And so he proposed having some committees so people could get on committees so they could get busy, thinking that if we just look like a healthy church, we'll be a healthy church. But for some churches, that, that defines success. For still others, it might be holiness. A successful church is one that really is, is in on holiness, and you target holiness. You spend a lot of time talking about standards and, and, and separating yourself from the world and, and things of that sort. What we have in this passage of Scripture, folks, is God, I really believe, it is God's blueprint for the church. It's laid out in profound and yet very simple terms. What the church is supposed to be how the church is supposed to be that, and the whole thing that this church thing is based on. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to take this passage, and I want to do it backwards, okay? I want to start with the goal. What is the goal of the church? What are we aiming at? What is success for the church? And then I want to talk about the means of getting that goal, and then I want to talk about the foundation for the means, okay? The goal of the church, as Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 4, is found, I believe, in verse 13, where Paul says this, that the the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, which is to say we become mature. And what is maturity? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What in essence he means there, I believe, is saying this: the final objective for the church, what we're about and where we're going, and what counts as success for the church is when we attain to the full the whole measure, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. when we are everything that Jesus was and is. Then we've arrived. That is what counts as success. And to the degree that we are that, we're successful. To the degree that we're not, we stop short of what the goal of the church is, according to the Word of God. He says basically the same thing in verse 15 when he says that we could all grow up into the head. That we'd grow up, that we'd mature. And that would be a Jesus look-alike, and people who look like and act like Jesus Christ. The analogy here is, is this. Paul's, the analogy is, is, is of an embryo. The goal of an embryo, the purpose of an embryo is to become the whole measure of the fullness of a human being. The blueprint is all there. The DNA is all there. It's on track. And the goal is to become everything that a human being is supposed to be. And so in the process of doing that, to go to verse 16 of this passage, the ligaments and the sinews and the joints begin to develop in this embryo. It begins to develop. It, it, be, it begins to grow little arms and grows little legs and then grows little fingers and grows little toes. It begins to grow little eyes and ears and it's filling out the picture. It's filling out the portrait of the whole measure of the fullness of what a human being is to be and so it is with the church. What we are to be striving for, what would are be Aiming at is to become everything that Jesus Christ is. The whole measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ. And I want you to note this. Paul here is talking about the body of Christ at large. We all need to, in our own way, the way we are wired to, we need to live out the whole measure, the, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ in our own lives. And be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that that is predestined of us in Romans eight twenty nine. We, we are going to be Jesus' looks, look, look-alikes. But Paul here is saying that the body of Christ as a whole, the corporate body of Christ, is to be everything that Jesus Christ is. We are to be, if you will, try to follow this, this analogy, we're to be a giant Jesus. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was incarnate as a man. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, weighed probably 124 pounds, it was probably five foot four, and he went around the world doing, doing what he was called to do, doing what he was incarnated to do. And then he ascended up on high. But now he has the church, and the church is to be, in a very literal sense, the body of Christ, number two, if you will. We are to be the incarnate Lord here on earth doing exactly what Jesus Christ did. But now we do it not in a 5 foot 424 pound way, we do it in a giant way because it involves all of us, the church at large. The picture I got, and, and, and whenever I say the picture I got, you should be warned because it's going to be loony, but maybe it will stick. But did you ever see the movie Ghostbusters? A lot of you have seen that. Ghostbusters, who are you going to call Ghostbusters. And at the end of that movie, and I don't even remember how it was, but in the end of that movie, um, they were going against that one big monster, and whatever they thought happened, or something like that. Remember that? I, I can't remember the movie very well. But I know Dan Aykroyd thought of uh, the Pillsbury Doughboy, or the, uh, someone corrected me, it was the Fluff, Stay Fluff, Stay Fluff Doughboy. And all of a sudden, there's this gigantic Stay Fluff Doughboy coming in. The, you know, the Empire State Building's here, and he's coming through like that, you know. And he was going to defeat the enemy, the Stay, Pu- the Stay Puff Doughboy. A giant doughboy. And the picture I get of what the church is to be is to be a giant Jesus. Jesus, while he was here on earth, there's a limited number of people he could contact. You know, I mean, he was geographically limited, you know, finite. And now he's got, he pours his whole life into the church as a whole. And we are a corporate Jesus. We're to be a giant Jesus walking around the Twin Cities and doing exactly what Jesus Christ did a giant Jesus. I'm not talking about uh, Oral Roberts either, 900 foot tall. I'm talking about the church as a whole. So what is the church supposed to be? What what does it mean to grow up as a church? What are we aiming at? What is our objective? What are we here for? It's to be a giant Jesus and to do exactly what Jesus Christ did. And what did Jesus Christ do? You don't need to write 17 volumes and strategize around a table with a bunch of theologians to figure it out. You just got to read the Gospels. And every page of the Gospels, you see what Jesus Christ did. If Jesus did it, know this. The church is supposed to be doing it. The, the historical Jesus, the incarnate Lord, defines what the giant Jesus, the church, is to be. You find a summary of the whole thing in Luke chapter 4. A summary of what Jesus Christ was about in Luke chapter 4. Starting with verse 16, Jesus stands up in the synagogue. Jesus stands up in the synagogue, and, 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 and he, he reads Isaiah, and then he says, today this, this prophecy is fulfilled. I am the anointed one, and the Spirit of God has anointed me in order to, and he names three things that define who Jesus is, and therefore three things that define what the church is about. You don't need to go any further than these three things. Number one, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim, to preach the good news, euangelion, the good news, and to proclaim the acceptable year of our Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord was the year of Jubilee. It happened every 50 years in the Old Testament, and on that year of Jubilee, all debts were erased, all prisoners were freed, all slaves were freed, everything was, was, was just put back to the original owner. Everything was erased. And so, what Jesus did on every page of the Gospels, he went around proclaiming the unconditional grace of God. And this is the acceptable year of the Lord. All who will, all who will receive it can be forgiven, can have the mercy of God, the love of God, the unconditional grace of God upon their life. And so the church, this giant Jesus throughout the Twin Cities, Minnesota, the United States, and throughout the world, is to be about this one thing, proclaiming the good news, proclaiming God's grace, proclaiming that anyone who wants it, anyone who wants it can be forgiven, justified before God, reconciled to God. And then Jesus said, not only that, but I don't just talk about freedom, Number two, I do, freedom. I've come to set the prisoners free. And so you find this on about every page of the Gospels. Jesus Christ confronts all forces that oppress human beings and keep them from being the image of God that God had called them to be. He's casting out demons left and right. That's what, that's what the, the historical earthly Jesus was about. And so this giant Jesus that we are, we are now a part of, if we're going to be the whole measure and not part of the measure, and the fullness of Christ and not part of Christ, we've got to be about setting captives free. This, this giant doughboy, if you will, should be about stepping on demonic forces as they get in people's lives, just squishing those little suckers, just putting them in the ground. And there's another one, stepping on these little ants. That's what the giant Jesus is supposed to be about. That's part of our mission. That's part of what we're to grow up to be. It's confronting demonic forces in people's lives. And one of the things that excites me, and it's a sign to me that the church is maturing, is that we're doing more and more of that. We've got some visitation teams that that are are getting trained on the field uh, on on confronting demonic forces, and and this is starting to get flushed out. The Lord's beating the bushes, and these things are coming out. And to me, it's a good sign. We're We're getting involved in the kind of warfare that the Lord wants us to be involved in. And the third thing that the Lord did when he was on earth... Well, as he said, now I've come to heal the sick and the blind. I don't just want to talk about the kingdom. I want to do kingdom stuff. I want to demonstrate the power of God. And one of the things that the enemy has brought to this fallen world is sickness and disease, so Jesus comes against it, and he brings about healing in people's lives. So one of the things that we need to be striving for, aiming at, praying for, preaching towards, and being open to is the Lord... Healing people through us. The giant Jesus laying hands on people and seeing them delivered of their sickness and delivered of their diseases and to rise up in faith for that. Incidentally, a little side note tonight we're going to be going to pray for a, a young man, 30 years old, I believe, maybe younger than that, who's, who's got brain cancer. And, I, and, and, and if you think about it, what is his name? Uh, uh, Randy. Pray for Randy. Because we're going to come against that thing. We did it with Chris Morgan. And, and he, he, he's not supposed to be alive now. The doctors said about a year and a half ago they had about a year to live. And he's still with us and he's back teaching and he's, and he's, he's doing great, praise God. And in fact, we, we, we asked him to come with us and pray for this guy. Because nothing will build your faith better than being healed yourself. And that's the kind of thing the kingdom is to be about. Not just talking it, but doing it. We grow. We are all part of of this giant Jesus. You're a hand, you're a toenail, you're a nose, you're an eye, you have some role to play in this giant Jesus. And the only thing that counts as success, the only thing that matters, is that we're doing the stuff that Jesus did. If we are a giant Jesus, folks, God will add numbers as God wants to add numbers. That's not our concern. But you can have all the numbers in the world, the greatest show in the world, but if you're not being a giant Jesus, it doesn't count as success by biblical standards. And you can have financial stability, and you can have nice buildings, and you can have a nice, run, efficient program and all the other things that might count as success in some people's minds for what a successful church is. But the only criteria that matters that Paul brings about is doing the stuff that Jesus did. And if you do it with 20 people, if that's your church, you're a success. If you do it with 20,000, you're a success. But if you got 20,000 and you're not being a giant Jesus... And from Paul's standards, you're not a success. You're not growing up into the full measure. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. That's the aim. And each one of us has a part. Now how do we do that? How do we do that? What is the means to that end? It just doesn't happen. It happens by being intentional about it. How do we go about bringing that? Paul talks about it. It's found in verse 12. Paul says, blah, 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 blah. In order of that, where is it? Blah, 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 that the body of Christ may be built up. Wait, wait, wait. Blah, 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 blah. To prepare. The blah, 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 blah is the foundation part. I'm going to get to that in a second. I'm going to get to the blah, 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 blah. But verse 12 says this. To prepare God's people for works of service. So that, so that, so that. Here's the means. So that the body of Christ may be built up. Apparently, the way we grow into the giant Jesus, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, is by the people of God being prepared for works of service. We saw last week that Jesus Christ invaded hell. He proclaimed freedom for the captives. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 4, 8, and 9. He led captives in his train when 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 he released them from the enemy's grasp, and then he ascended up on high and he gave gifts. He gave gifts first to people. He gave gifts to people, and then he gave people as gifts. Remember that last week if you were here. He gifts us so that we can be, be a gift, and he gives each of us as gifts. Every believer here this morning is a gift to the body of Christ because you've got a vital role to play in the body of Christ. And We saw last week that that gift that you are, not just that you have, but that you are, that is not something added to your salvation, and it's not an optional thing. The way it's phrased in verse 7 is that the grace has been given to every believer who will accept it for free. But Christ has apportioned out or measured that gift so that it looks a certain way when it gets lived out. For me to live out the life of Christ in me means preaching. I can't live out the, the life of Christ without preaching. For other people, it's living out hospitality. For other people, it's living out encouragement. For other people, it's living out helping or whatever. But the the grace of God inside of us, the salvation that you have, when you begin to manifest it on the outside, when you begin to know who you are and begin to walk in who you are, it it comes out as a gift, a role to play. That's a vital function of who you are. Which means if you're not plugged in and doing who you are, you're living in denial of the reality of the salvation that you have. Now what we learn is this. The role of leaders in the church, the role of those who... Their gift, their their package is leadership, encouragement, motivation, teaching and preaching. Their role and the sole role that Paul gives them here is to prepare God's people for works of service. To prepare God's people to do, in other words, follow me on this, to do what you're called to do. The word there, to prepare, or some translations have to equip God's people. It doesn't mean to add something onto them. The word katartismos literally means to complete, to fill out, to fill out, to bring forth what is there. So the picture we get is this. The role of, the role of, of, of church leaders is to confront, to motivate believers so that they will manifest out, bring forth, complete or perfect the gift that they are. The role of leaders is to get the body of Christ energized. Not to do the ministry, but to get the body of Christ prepared to do the ministry. And to get them plugged in with one another. So that, as Paul says in verse 16, every joint, every sinew, every ligament is working in relationship to one another. So that the arm is connected to the other arm, the leg is connected to the other leg. And Paul says that as you do that, as believers begin to walk in the life of Christ that they have, the body of Christ gets built up. We begin to attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What you've got to see is it depends on every believer walking in the reality of who they are in Christ. What counts then? What counts? If you're going to build a church, what counts as success in terms of building a church? has got nothing to do. If we're sticking to the word here, folks, it's got nothing to do with the leaders of the church Offering the most services available to people. uh, Taking care of the greatest number of people. It's got nothing to do with with having the hottest program in town and the best music program in town and and, and displaying the most sensational gifts in town. It's got nothing to do with that. What it's got to do with is confronting believers to say, Know who you are. Walk as you are. The job of leaders, pastors, teachers, evangelists, the job of all of them, it's to get the sinews to know that they're sinews and start sinewing. <laughs> There's got to be a verb there somewhere. To get the ligaments to start ligamenting, and to get the ears to start hearing, and to get the eyes to start seeing. In other words, what it's about, this, if our concern concerns to be a giant Jesus, our soul concern, in terms of what we are as a church, is to get believers, get, to get the healers to start healing. You're a healer. To get the singers to start singing, you got a gift for singing. You gotta use that. To get the people who have a gift of hospitality, to start hospitalizing or getting people over. To get the people with a gift of encouragement, to, to get connected to people who need encouragement. To get the people who have a gift of wisdom to start counseling. To get the prophets to start prophesying. To get the people with a gift of miracles to start doing their thing. To get the preachers to start preaching and the evangelists to start evangelizing to get the people with the gift of helps to start helping. To get plugged in, in other words. To where your role is in the body of Christ. And as you do that, as you do to know who you are in Christ. And as you do that, the body of Christ begins to grow. As you mature, the body of Christ matures. As you grow, the body of Christ grows. As you do your thing, the body of Christ is enabled to do its thing. As you develop your gift, the body of Christ, the the body of Christ becomes a functional body of Christ because the hands are working, the the feet are working, the eyes are working, and we're this giant Jesus going throughout the Twin Cities doing exactly what Jesus Christ did when he was here on earth. And each part of it, each each of us is a part of that. Paul says in verse 16, every supporting ligament, every supporting ligament is vital. Sometimes we think that, 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 you know, in this giant Jesus, the mouthpiece is the most important, or the ear is the most important, or what have you. You know, think about it. What is the most important part of your body? The most important part of your body is the stuff that looks the most grotesque. You think about it? Uh, livers are just inherently unattractive. Kidneys, I mean, we get queasy when we look at that stuff. Intestines, I could live without my eyes, but you take away my my kidneys and my liver and my intestines, and I'm going to be a sorry guy. And so it is in the church. We all have a role to play. Some of the roles are up front, a lot of the roles are behind the scenes, but it is crucial that you play those roles. You never, you know, it's not sensational to be a part setting up the church or whatever or having five people over at at your house to have a little prayer meeting or whatever. But it is vital if the body of Christ is to be what the body of Christ is called to be. Every supporting ligament, Paul says, has its its, uh, role. Paul says this in Colossians 128. I labor. Paul says, I labor. He uses the word there that's used for labor pains. I'm in labor pains... for you to be completed in Christ. And he uses the word katartismos. I am in labor pains that you would just come to fruition. Enough of this, you know, on the fringe, just kind of saved deal. I'm in labor pains to see you grow, to see you mature to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And that is what what leadership ministry is about, laboring for that, preaching towards that, praying towards that. Nothing in the Bible says we should be in labor pains about getting big numbers. I don't want to labor over that. The Bible doesn't say we should labor over that. Laboring over having the exact right kind of programs, laboring over a building, laboring over the finances, laboring over social impact or whatever. What we're to labor over are believers coming to know who they are, beginning to walk in the full reality and authority of who they are in Christ so that we as a body of Christ can have a giant Jesus. I want to breathe hard on that one. I want to be in pain about that one. I want to strive for that one. The rest of the stuff will happen as it's supposed to happen if you're developing believers to be who they're supposed to be. God will take care of the numbers, the building, the finances, the rest of the stuff. But what you labor about is getting believers to get activated in the body of Christ. The goal is, praise God, thank you, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So the goal is to become a giant Jesus, the means... Is by getting believers activated, prepared to, to, for works of service, and now the foundation of it. Paul gives us this too. The foundation. Paul says that God, the, the the first gifts that God gave to the church were the apostles and the prophets, apostles and prophets. Paul tells us in Ephesians two twenty that they are the foundation for the church. They're the foundation for the church, and Paul tells us in, Ephes- in, in 1 Corinthians chapter two. That no other foundation can be laid than the one that's already been laid. The apostles and the prophets. The gift that they are to us is not an ongoing gift. The gift of prophecy is still here, but the foundational prophets have ceased and the foundational apostles have ceased. God gave us their gift in the Word. Which is why Acts 2 tells us that the early church devoted themselves wholeheartedly to studying the apostles' doctrine. The evangelist and the preacher... The, the pastor-teachers that Paul talks about here. When you think of evangelists, don't think of what you think of today. Uh, you know, you think of Steve Martin and, the, and Leap of Faith and some guy who comes into town and has got three sermons. He preaches them wherever he goes and he, he, he preaches some sermons and then runs. In the early church, the evangelist was, was, a, was basically a church planter. They'd, be, they'd go to a town. They, it literally means to bring a, be a bearer of good news. And they'd go to a town and they'd set up a church and they'd be there as long as they could, a lot of times about three years, and then they'd raise up in that church a person whose natural giftedness, as according to how God apportioned it, their natural giftedness is being a, 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 a teacher or a shepherd. Actually, in the Greek, it, it, it refers to one, one, one office, a shepherd who teaches. And the job of the evangelist and the job of the teacher is simply to preach the word of God. And God, Paul says here that God gave those evangelists and those preacher-teachers in order to equip the saints. So what are you getting here? The way you develop, the way you mature Christians, the way you get them to develop into the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, the way you get a church to be a giant Jesus is by preaching the Word. Preaching the Word. That's why Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all scripture, he says, is God breathed. The word inspired. It means God, when, when God breathed. God exhaled. When God breathes, it comes out as the Bible. Whew, there it is. It's God breathed. And because it's God breathed, Paul says, it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the equipping of the saints. The word equipping there is katartismos. The same word we're dealing with here, for the completion of the saints. Folks, if if we're going to grow individually and then as a church to be a giant Jesus, the way to do it, the food to do it, is the Word of God. Nothing but the Word of God and all of the Word of God. Amen? You preach anything else, you teach anything else, you get off on anything else, and you're going to grow something. But what you're going to grow is not the the, uh, Christians who have attained to the whole measure and the fullness of Christ. Because the Word of God has got power. It's the only thing we've got, folks, that has got the power to change us. You can give a lot of nice ideas and a lot of of cute insights and write books on different things, and those are great. Those are wonderful. Read them. Hallelujah. Discuss them. But the only thing that's going to change your life and make you to be the kind of warrior Christian that the Lord has called you, believer, to be is the Word of God. And you can have in a church a lot of nice entertainment and you can have a, you know fancy programs and, and all sorts of schemes and agendas and they have their place and if they help build a giant Jesus, then praise God for them, go with it. But the only thing that's going to change you and, 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 and revolutionize the way you see and the way you think and make you to be part of the walking Jesus that, the God, that, that God wants to plan, that God wants to bring about, is the Word of God. Nothing but the Word of God. The whole Word of God. Eating it, digesting it. That's what we... we we need to saturate our folks, like our minds, folks, like David did, with the Word of God. I meditate on it day and night, he says, to eat the Word of God, to breathe the Word of God, to become intoxicated with the Word of God, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the Word of God. Because as you take the Word of God, as you preach the Word of God, and as the Spirit of God lands on, on, on those words, we begin to think like God thinks. We begin to feel like God feels. We begin to then see more clearly who we are in Christ. But the change has got to come on the inside. Ideas and humans and schemes and books and debates won't do it. It's the word of God that alone does it. That's why, that, that, that's why Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. He says, Timothy, I want you to be instant, in season and out of season, to, pre- to preach the word of God. We sometimes think that that means to have a sermon in the back of your Bible just in case someone says, hey, why don't you preach? And I suppose that's one application of it. But what Paul's really getting at is this. When it's in season to preach the Word of God, preach it. And when it's out of season to preach the Word of God, you still preach it. When it's popular to preach the Word of God, preach the Word of God, Timothy. And when it ain't popular to preach the Word of God, you still preach the Word of God. When it draws large crowds to preach the word of God, preach the word of God. And when it sends crowds away, when you preach the word of God, you still preach the word of God. You don't find Jesus tailoring his message in order to to draw large crowds because Jesus' target wasn't about numbers. Many times crowds went away from him and he said to his disciples, are you guys also going to go? But he preached the word of God. When it conforms to the culture and people like it and, it, and, it, and it, it soothes their ears, you preach the word of God. But when it goes directly against the culture and people don't want to hear it and it makes them mad and it makes them ticked off and it makes them hate you, you still preach the word of God. Because if you're going to be a success in the kingdom of God, it's about getting a large Jesus, a giant Jesus. And to do that, you've got to get mature Christians. And the only food to eat if you're going to be a mature Christian is the word of God. Everything else may be more popular, may be more happy, may be more this or that and are entertaining or exciting or whatever, but it's the Word of God and the Word of God alone confronting us, changing us, that's going to make us into the people of God that God wants us to be. It's the Word of God, the one foundation. Any building that gets built in a way that goes to the left or the right of the foundation is a skewed building that's eventually going to fall. Everything that the church does has got to be in direct plumb line with the Word of God. It's the foundation for everything. You see, if your strategy, if your agenda, if your goal, if your target is off, the means of getting there is going to be off, and the foundation for getting there is going to be off as well. If your concern is numbers, if that's what your concern is, then you develop strategies to get numbers. And now you've got to worry about popularity. You've got to worry about popularity. You've got to tailor everything. And, and, and you've got to see the, the, the people in the pew as the customer, and your job is to give them the nice product. We talked about that last week. Give them the product. And if they like entertainment, you give them entertainment. They maybe are offended by worship, so don't have worship. Give entertainment. And, and, and your sermons, you want it so it's nice and, and interesting and quaint, and, and, but not offensive, not harsh. Never confront. Never come down, never come through. But see, you reap what you sow you reap what you sow always reap what you sow and, and if that's what you present what, you'll grow a large something you can grow a large something but it's not going to be a large Jesus that large something you have isn't going to step on any demons it'll be a large something a large supermarket what you do is you train believers and I think this is one of the number one problems in the church today you train believers to think like consumers so they see the church as a supermarket so they come and they want a product they get the product and they move on And the result is that the believers never get challenged to use their gifts, never get challenged to grow up, never get challenged, never get confronted, never are held accountable. They never know the joy of what it is to walk in the power of God. They never know the joy that it is to to, to be involved in spiritual warfare. They never know the joy of, of, of being plugged into other believers who care for them and being used in the lives of those other believers. They're just lone rangers that float around, and they're like amputated fingers. Their fingers, but you never know it because there's no life flowing into them, and they never do the gift that God saved them to do in relationship to the church. The bottom line, I close with just a, a couple of little 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 bullet points here. Is this. Number one, the gift that God gave us in the apostles and prophets is right here, the Bible. And you don't need me or anyone else to read the Bible, to, to, to let that gift be a gift to you. God gives gifts to the church. One of the gifts is, is the ability to, to highlight the Bible and to confront you with the Bible. That's a gift, but you don't need to be dependent on that. And so I encourage everyone here to make this book your friend. Begin by reading it 15 minutes every morning or or, or something like that. Begin to to, to become acquainted with it. You don't have to understand everything about it for it to begin to change you. It just does. It's God breathed. God, you know, with Adam, he breathed life into Adam and Adam became a living spirit, okay? This is God's breath. When you're ingesting this, you're getting God's life into you. It's going to bring about change. It's going to bring about transformation. You can't just, like, try to, to be a great Christian. It doesn't happen like that, folks. It's got to be a transformation on the inside and the primary means that God's given to us to transform us is the Word of God. I encourage you to make this your friend. Begin to read it. Become disciplined in your Bible reading. The second thing is this. Our only concern on on Sunday morning when we gather together as a large congregation, the concern here is to worship God as passionately with everything that is within us as we possibly can. And then to proclaim the word of God as passionately as we can. This is why we go verse by verse. We're just systematically going through the Bible. There are more exciting ways to do it. And people who, who are like, you know, catchy titles and nice packaged programs or whatever can get tired of it. More interesting ways of doing it. But I don't think there's a more balanced way of doing it. Not that we're never going to take a break and, and do topics or whatever. But the systematic study and proclamation of the Word of God is vital if we're going to get food. If we're going to get food, if we're going to grow, it's the Word of God. And so that's what we are about here on Sunday morning is proclaiming the Word of God so that we would individually mature, get plugged in, and become a giant Jesus. The third thing is this. That means that the primary objective here on Sunday morning is not evangelism. If the primary objective on Sunday morning is evangelism, you end up having 52 sermons a year that are on salvation. And, and that's good in terms of saving people, but the result is that believers never grow beyond that. They never mature beyond that. Some places make Wednesday night a time to, to, to preach the word, or Tuesday or some day of the week a time to preach the word to believers so believers can grow beyond that. But here we're using Sunday morning as a, a way to confront believers. It's, it's pr- The job of the leadership... The primary job of the leadership is not to be the people who say, the ones who save people. The primary job of the leadership here is to mature the saints. C.S. Lewis put it like this. C.S. Lewis said, you know, Peter, Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. He didn't say entertain the goats. Feed the sheep. That's what we're about. Feeding the sheep. Feed the sheep. Because see, and here's the thing. The mandate to make disciples of all nations falls on the body as a whole. And as you mature believers to do what Jesus did, they'll start doing what Jesus did. And they start evangelizing. Evangelism here comes on the one-to-one context that we have with people in the world. We develop relationships. And maybe in time we, we share the Lord with them or we invite them to one of our house churches, a small group. So they can begin to see the love of Christ incarnated among believers as we, as we, as we share with one another and, and, and get involved in people's lives. They see that. The reality becomes, the reality of Christianity becomes demonstrated for them and that's where the primary place where they get saved. And then maybe you inv- invite them to the celebration service here this morning. Now, I always want to be sensitive to non-believers here. I, I, I want them to understand what we're about. And you know that every Sunday morning or almost every Sunday morning we make an altar call because it's, that's part, that's a central thing of what the church is to be about. But I encourage you, know this, that on Sunday morning, the word, the, 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 the goal here, the objective here is to grow a giant Jesus by growing Christians who participate in that giant Jesus. And that evangelism comes when, when we start doing our gifts and move out into the world and showing the reality of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, I want to encourage you with all that I have within me. To come forward after we're dismissed. There'll be some people up here who would love to pray with you. Becoming a believer is the easiest thing in the world. It's just accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I encourage you to do that. Or if you have other needs this morning that you would like to have someone pray for, there are people up here whose role in the giant Jesus is to pray for you. So feel free to come forward. Let's stand and pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord God, for this rock, for this lamp, for this foundation. I pray, Lord God, that it would always be before us as the one thing that everything about us is based on, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you put in our hearts a love for your word, a desire to know your word and to study your word, to digest it and internalize it, Lord, and use it through your spirit to transform us to be the kind of people you want us to be, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that your spirit, as we go out of this place, would put on us a burden to share with people who don't yet know you the acceptable year of the Lord that they could see, Lord God, that grace and forgiveness and mercy is found in the blood of Jesus Christ and nowhere else. Equip us, Lord, be building us, Lord. Keep the vision for who we are to be as a whole, always before us. We pray in your name. Amen.